All right, open your Bibles up to Revelation chapter 21. Last sermon in the series of We Believe has to be on We Believe That God Will Make All Things New. Now, we, I've skipped over the whole pre-tribulation view of the rapture because we had Dr. Blazing that came in and did two days section on it. And so I want to conclude this last one with focusing us on heaven for a little bit. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 9 is where we will spend our time. I want to focus on the big idea that God says, behold, I will make all things new. And think about the implications of what that means for us, for life, for life here, and for our anticipation and expectation of life in heaven. The Bible has God for its ultimate author. It uses human writers. It tells the story of mankind who rebelled against his creator and a God who lovingly sent his son to reconcile us through redemption, to redeem not only us, but to redeem the creation and the world and the heavens and the earth and everything in it. The picture of the Bible has Jesus as its hero. It is bigger than me. It is bigger than you. It is bigger than our individual salvation. It is the story of cosmic redemption and renewal. It is a focus on the new heaven and the new earth and on heaven and all things being set right, relationships, physically, spiritually, a renewal that takes place where God demonstrates grace that is larger than what we can fathom with our human brains. We must see the big story of the Bible and the big story of redemption and understand that we are merely a small part of God's great story and that the Bible is not about us and it doesn't center on us or our lives. And for us to live a life for his honor and his glory, we have to understand where we fit in to his great plan and understand that's the best thing we can do is to fit into his plan, not try to create our own story or write our own story as Hollywood might try to tell us. Revelation chapter 21. Verse 1, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Dear Lord, we pray today as we look at this, may we catch just a glimpse of your glory, just a glimpse of the new creation, 
Lord, may we live our lives for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. Today I want us to look at four areas of renewal. As God makes all things new, this text, I believe, gives us four separate areas where he will renew things. First of all, we see in verses one and two that God will renew the heaven and the earth. Secondly, we see that God will renew our relationship with him. We will be dwelling with God in verses three in the first part of verse four. Third, we will be renewed physically and spiritually. The second part of verse four through verse six. And then finally, God will renew the righteous, but then punish the wicked in verses seven and eight. So as we look at this, we begin with the first aspect here. God will renew the heavens and the earth. Verses one and two says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. We see that the first heaven and first earth has passed away. That'll have important application for us later on, but we see that the sea was no more. Think about the sea as John is writing. He's exiled on the island of Patmos. He looks out at the sea and it is what separates him from those whom he loves, those whom he desires to be with. The sea to him at that point in time as he is writing is what is keeping him from where he might long to be. It is something at that time, even more than our time, but, but still in our day, the sea is considered something that is dangerous. It's something that is unknown. It is something that many people fear to be caught out in far away. You know, we might take cruise ships, but they have a lot of lifeboats. We, we might worry if we get caught into a storm and the seas get too rough because we're uncertain. We can't breathe without oxygen. We understand it's a dangerous place. It is scary. There are things in the deep dark of the sea that we don't understand, that we don't comprehend, that we don't like. You make a movie about things and you want to scare people, you make a movie about the sea or about things in the sea, like Jaws. You want to scare people, you give them the impression that they're going to be adrift at sea. Things like that terrify us. And here, what it says is there will be no more sea. It doesn't say there will be no more water. In chapter 22, there's a river that flows from the throne of God, but it says there will be no more sea. With three-fourths of the world filled with water right now, we understand that this new heaven and this new earth is going to be vastly different. We don't know everything about what it's going to look like, but we know that the first earth and the first heaven will pass away and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There is no more sea. He says, I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared. The words prepared there should remind us of John 14, two and three, where Jesus tells the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you if he's going to prepare a place for us, then he will come again and he will take us to that place. He is preparing a place that is described here as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, We had the seniors over to the house yesterday afternoon, and as we were talking with them, many of them were engaged, and many of them had weddings to be taking place in June or July or December or August or May. And as you looked and talked to them about wedding preparations, as soon as they began talking about wedding preparations, a smile beamed on both faces of both the guy and the girl. Now, preparation is not necessarily the most fun part of a wedding, but even talking about the anticipation and the preparation of a wedding, a smile rose on their face as they began to share the story of where they were going to be married, things that were going to happen, what they were going to do. And here, this new city coming down, it is prepared. It has the anticipation of a bride adorned for her husband. The word here for adorned is cosmeo. 
Now, I, I don't normally put the Greek words up for you, but I thought it would be important in this one because kosmeo means to put in order, to decorate, to adorn. It's where we get our words, cosmos, being put in order, the cosmos that came out of the chaos. It's where we get our word cosmetic. Many of you went to JS or you went to other things this weekend and the ladies, when they went, likely put on some makeup. They put on their cosmetics. Hopefully the guys didn't put on too much cosmetics, but the girls put on their cosmetics. They, some people would refer to it as, let me put my face in order. Let me get my eyeshadow on. Or You know, I don't know anything I'm talking about right now, but I'm trying anyway. You put on your lipstick, you put on your blush, you do all these things that I see sitting around the bathroom counter from time to time and have no clue how to use any of them. And that's called your cosmetics. You put them in order, right? At least that's what I think. So here we go. The bride is adorned and prepared. You get the imagery and the anticipation of what's taking place. You understand that there's an excitement, that there's a new heaven, that there's a new earth. And we have some application for us even today when we think about the fact that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We look out at creation and creation groans because of the sin that has befallen it. We think about the tragedies that occur on earth. So last night I went to weather.com because they usually have the most weather-oriented disasters that take place just to look at the front page. I dug no deeper, and last night on the front page of weather.com, it talked about a 7.8 magnitude earthquake which killed hundreds in Ecuador. It talked about the duo earthquakes which killed 41 in Japan. It talked about a Category 5 cyclone near Madagascar of 175 mile per hour winds, and it talked about severe storms with flooding and tornadoes in the central states of the United States. Just on the front page, you see tragedy after tragedy of the earth crying out and groaning. We think broadly about this and we understand there are droughts in certain parts of the world. There are floods in other parts of the world. There are earthquakes taking place. There are tornadoes. There are hurricanes. There are disasters that occur all over the globe. The earth screams out to be redeemed. You go into your backyard and you go to pick a beautiful rose and realize it has thorns. You look at the weeds and the dandelions that pop up in the earth. You try to grow a garden and weeds occur everywhere. All over the earth is screaming out to be renewed. And God's word says here, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and all of the things in the earth that are wrong will be set right. We think about creation care. We think about the way that we care for the world and we have a stewardship to care for the world. But we care for the world in a different way and with a different biblical worldview than some care for the world. We don't believe that we have to care for the world because the world is all there is and all there will ever be. And that as we care for the world, we care for the future generations of humans in some cyclic form. We care for the world because God has entrusted us the world to be stewards of the world, but we understand that this text tells us that the heaven and the earth will pass away, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and because there will be a new heaven and a new earth, we work for laws that promote human flourishing. We understand the stewardship of the earth should also promote human flourishing of those created in the image of God. The earth will not be here forever. The earth will pass away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and we have a responsibility to be good stewards and we can work alongside those who care for creation but we do so from a different biblical perspective and a different biblical worldview we look at point number two here verse three we learn that God will renew our relationship with him he says and I heard in a loud voice 
This I heard in a loud voice is mentioned 20 times in the book of Revelation. The first time in chapter 5, verse 2, this is the last time that it is mentioned where it says, I heard with a loud voice. And the loud voice tells us, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And then it uses the verb form of that dwelling, he will dwell. And the verb form of that dwelling is the word skene in the Greek. How many of you like to go camping out in a tent? Anybody here like to go camping in a tent? This skene, the word here in the text, means that God will go camping with us, basically. He will tent with us. He will tabernacle with us. He will dwell with us. We think back to Genesis and we think how it talked about the Lord walking in the cool of the day as he was looking for Adam and Adam hid from him. And that sin separated us from a holy and righteous God. And then we see in the Old Testament the sacrifices that were done over and over and over again to pay for the sins of the people, foreshadowing the coming sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God who was to take away the sin of the world. We know that Jesus came. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross as our substitute in our place for our sins and And in doing so, we know that the veil was torn from the top to the bottom so that we were no longer separated. We no longer needed a great high priest, but Jesus became that great high priest and that we now live in the age where the Holy Spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. But one day when Christ redeems all things, God himself will dwell with us. And if you've ever worked with children, If you've ever talked with children, if you have children, you understand the questions that occur specifically about God. Where is God? Well, God is everywhere. Well, if God is everywhere, why can't I see him? Because God has no body as we do. God is a spirit. But if God is everywhere, why can't I see him? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever desired to see God? Do you desire even now to see the Savior that died on a cross for your sins? And how will you respond in the day when you are able to look Jesus face to face? A song I can only imagine. Ask the question, will I stand in his presence or to my knees will I bow? I can't help but think knowing my personality that I'm not going to be dancing in front of Jesus. I can't dance well enough to dance in front of anybody, much less in front of Jesus, but I think I'll be one of those that'll fall flat to my face before the God who redeemed us and loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. Here, we understand that we will have a different relationship with God. I want to spend more time on point number three. I want to help you focus on this. God will renew us physically and spiritually. 4B, look at what it says. God's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I decided this uh, weekend to conduct a scientific study on Facebook. Yeah, sure, I guess it works, right? So I put out a tweet and put out a Facebook post to say, what are you most looking forward to being made new in heaven? And many people responded. I've grouped the four responses here in basically four different categories. Spiritually restored, physically restored, relationships restored, or new opportunities. That's kind of the application that I would draw out of the fact that he's going to renew us spiritually and he's going to renew us physically. And so as we think about those different things, we think about the fact of being spiritually renewed. What does that mean? 
spiritually restored. I think this is probably the thing that most Christians, especially myself, is probably the thing I long for the most. To think about the fact that the sin nature, which causes me to urge and to do things that don't please my God, that I will no longer struggle with that sin nature pulling me away from worshiping God wholly or completely of one mind, that I will no longer be tugged to think thoughts I shouldn't think, to do things that I shouldn't do, that we will no longer be pushed into anger or reactive responses or to prideful responses or to lustful responses, but that we will not have the ability to sin. Adam in the garden had the ability to sin or not to sin. He sinned. We don't have the ability not to sin. We have that sinful nature that causes us all to sin. But when we get to heaven, we're going to have a renewed body. We're going to be made new. We're not going to have the ability to sin. If we had the ability to sin, I'd be the one that would mess it up. And so when we get to heaven, there's going to be no more struggle with our sin nature. That sin nature that pulls at us, that tugs at us. We're not going to struggle with that sin nature anymore. And to that, I say, thank you, Lord, for making us new that we will no longer struggle with those type things. Physically restored. I think about Krista Morgan. Young, brain aneurysm. Things like that won't happen in heaven. I think about Linda Bartlett with cancer. Things like that won't happen in heaven. I think about those with disabilities being healed. I think about those who cannot see, particularly those who haven't been able to see from birth that the first sight they ever see with their eyes will be the face of their Savior. I think about those who are struggling with physical pain. I had one comment on Facebook that said, I'm looking forward to a new body. I like this old tent, but it has a lot of rips in it. Some of you struggle with physical pain. No more mental illness. No more Alzheimer's. I have a grandmother that recognizes me on some days and some days she doesn't. And every time she sees me, she asks, are you married? Do you have any kids? I think about all the relationships that will be restored. The friends that you have divided and parted with, the moms that you are separated from, the dads that you have anger issues with the grandparents that you have lost, the children that parents have lost. I think about Caleb Peterson who lost his grandfather, Chuck Clevenger who lost his dad all this semester. None of that pain, none of the crying, none of the mourning, None of that sorrow will be present when we get to heaven and Jesus sets all things new. That's the God we worship. That's the heaven we long for. That is what we live for. It is not for this earth. It is not for the temporary. It's not for the trivial. It's not for the possessions. It is for the end. It is for Jesus. It's for our God who's going to set all things right. I think about true and lasting peace. I think about the fact that there will be no more bullies. There will be no more people making fun of you in ways that hurt your feelings, even if you don't know it. There will be no one else making fun of your children and you hear them as they talk. 
I think about new opportunities that excite us, new opportunities to explore, to create, to rule. Somebody commented about creating one of the world's best video games with perfect animation. You'll have all the years in the world to do that if that's what your soul desires. I might even play it for a little while, but cultivate a new world, create new technology. Sometimes we think of heaven and we think of sitting around like a fat angel with wings on a cloud with a harp for all of eternity, and nothing could be farther from capturing the extent of heaven. The funny ones that happened to pop up on the comments on Facebook was, I'm looking forward to bacon that doesn't make you fat. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that'll be in heaven, by the way. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, some of the Jewish law, I'm just saying, I don't know. <laughs> Having a six-pack, I'm pretty sure that is not the ultimate end of heaven. And it was abs. It wasn't the other kind of six-pack, all right? Just to clarify. <laughs> that would be bad, right? My waistline, I don't even know what that means. I don't know whether they wanted to expand their borders with the prayer of Jabez or if they wanted to shrink their borders with something else. This one was odd. They wanted to find out who killed JFK. I just told them to go talk to Dr. Mack, but anyway. And then I had one question I don't know the answer to. Will we wear clothes in heaven? I didn't answer that question. I don't know how to answer that question. This month is Autism Awareness Month. April 2nd, we weren't here in chapel. It was a Saturday. But I read one post from a mom and I thought, you know, thinking about heaven and thinking about what some people have to deal with, this could be powerful. So I wanted to read this to you. She posts every day in the month of April different things that she deals with by having a son who's autistic. One of her posts was sleep. From the time her son was a year old until he was four, he slept in their bed. Why? Because we got tired of being awake and not sleeping at night. During those years and many to follow at least three to four nights a week, he would be awake for two to three hours in the middle of the night, two to five, three to five, four to seven. He would not only be awake, he would be yelling and bouncing off the walls and we could keep him more contained with us and at least sleep on and off. Sleeping in our bed had to end. So we tried him in his bed and then again, one of us would have to go lay with him for an hour to an hour and a half to get him to sleep. This entailed holding him still, singing, falling asleep ourselves, etc. We got tired of not sleeping through the night, so we would often just let him be in his room, and most of the time he stayed there. We would take turns getting up to try and settle him down. Now, can you imagine a family dealing with that? And then we see them in Walmart, or we see them at the back of a church, and an autistic boy makes a sound or makes a grunt or says something, and we look out with judging eyes of what are you doing here or why can't you control your son, not knowing that that parent likely had two and a half less hours sleep than most the night before, is stressed out to their max, would love to sit down and have a conversation with their son. In fact, one of the posts was about a parent he said, when I get to heaven, I just want to sit down and talk to my autistic son. I want to know what he likes, what he longs for, what he loves. I want to hear his voice. I want to know what it sounds like. Things I can't do in this broken earth. And I think about heaven and how great it will be. And then I think about how quick I am to judge, how quick I am to, 
to look at people and not understand with compassion their situation, to not deal with them in perfect relationships. And it makes me long for the day that Jesus will set all things right, to long for the day that this earth will no longer be broken, to long for the day that my sin will no longer continue to break me and separate me from a holy God and cause me to struggle with issues. I look for the day where relationships will be perfect, where we will respond in compassion and care and not anger. I look forward to the day where all things will be made new. The gospel is so much bigger than just me and you. The gospel is God's glorious, gracious plan to set everything right that we have messed up. And don't you long for the day to be there with Jesus, enjoying him forever. I think about that. I think John thought about it too. Verse five says, also he said to me, write this down. Why do you think he had to retell him to write this down? That's what John was doing. He was writing this down, right? I think when John got to contemplating, and I don't know, this is, this is spiritual hypothesis here, so take it or leave it. But I think when John got to contemplating all things being made new, I think John's mind may have wondered. I think he might have just started thinking about it like I have. I think he might have been dwelling on it, and the Lord had to actually say to him, John, write this down. So next time you're daydreaming in class and your teacher says to you, write this down, you're just being biblical, right? I'm partially kidding, but he says, John, write this down. He loses his train of thought. What does he say to him? He says to him, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can trust them. He has to remind him again in chapter 22, these words are trustworthy and true. This is so great of a concept. We have such a hard time imagining it that he reminds him, this is trustworthy and this is true. For these words are trustworthy and true. It reminds me of last year's series, God is faithful, you can trust him. I think what we're hearing here is part of our theme for this year too, where God is saying to him, the flowers may fade, the grass may wither, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And what God has said about himself, what God has revealed to us about himself is not only true now, it will be true for all eternity. God's word will never fade. God's word will never wither. God's word stands true. It is trustworthy and true and you can trust it. He says to him, it is done. And to my mind comes the words of the cross where Jesus says it is finished. He says to him, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the letters of the Greek alphabet. For us, it could be the A to the Z. He is the beginning and the end. That phrase mentioned three times in the book of Revelation, one chapter one, verse eight, 21, six here, and then 22, 13. He says to him, I am the beginning and I am the end. Before anything was, God was. After everything is, God is. Jesus was there. Jesus will be. That's what we can trust and know for sure is he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And he says to those who thirst, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You can't earn it. You can't buy it but he will give to those who have repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in him without payment. In our society, we don't think much about water. We have water all over the place and it may not taste exactly like we would want it to. So then we buy bottled water or we have filters that help the water to taste better. Unless you're from Flint, Michigan, you probably don't think a lot about water, right? But if you live in a desert land, if you live in Africa, if you live 
in a third world area, water becomes something you think about. If you run a marathon, if you go on a long hike, if you exercise a lot, sometimes the best thing you could have after a hard day of manual labor is a cool drink of water. And here, that's the analogy that is giving to us, is that he will give to those who thirst the water of life without payment. Verse seven and eight, we turn to a new section. God will renew the righteous and punish the wicked. To the one who conquers, he will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. That word conquers, I think is an important word for us to look at. It's conquer in the ESV. It's overcome in the New King James and in the New American Standard. It's victor in the Holman Christian Standard Version. It's victorious in the NIV. The word originally in the Greek is nikeo. It You can hear the word Nike in there. So I've already kind of told you that. It means conquer, gain, victory. Nike means victory. So now you know why they named their shoes, what they named their shoes. That's why they have the swoosh on the side. It's why they marketed it in that way. So perhaps this summer, as many of you are going all over to the ends of the earth, as you're going on mission trips, as you're doing internships, as you're going to graduate school, as you're doing working at camps, as you're going to be ministering in churches, as you're going to be working a job, as you're going to be serving as lifeguards, whatever it is that you may do, every time you see a pair of those Nike shoes, may it remind you that you in Christ are an overcomer of this world, that you in Christ will overcome. May every time you see that, that you be reminded that Jesus is the victor and that through our unity with Christ, we too can be victors. Here it says that we are conquerors. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I have a few points just in closing today of application for you. Focusing on heaven. It's mentioned in scripture over 500 times. It's mentioned in the book of Revelation over 50 times. What does focusing on heaven on a regular basis do to help us? I think it will help us avoid idolizing the possessions or pleasures of this world. If we understand and know that this world is temporary and it's not permanent, we have an eternal perspective as Philippians 3 talks about. We understand that heaven is our ultimate home and we are pilgrims passing through this world. It helps us not to idolize possessions that we will never keep forever. It helps us not to look to the pleasures of this world, but to live for eternity. I think it will help us to store up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. We are told to do this in Scripture, to store up our treasures where the rust does not destroy, the moth will not destroy, and that we should not be looking to store up treasures on this earth. I think it will help us to handle suffering in this life. When tragedies occur, when bad things happen, we understand this is not the end of it. When we are dealing with issues in life, we understand that heaven awaits us. I think it will help us to understand that evil that pure evil, when we look out in North Korea and other places and evil rulers and we say, oh Lord, how long will you allow them to exist in this world? I think it helps us to understand that one day those evil murderers, those who are immoral, those will be in the lake of fire. All the evils of the world will be set right. How do you deal with the problem of evil? The problem of evil is us and our sin nature and our sin problem. And one day God will restore, renew and fix all of that. I think it helps us to see the problems of this world in proper perspective. You know, there are some days that I get up and I think I have serious problems. 
something's going on at work, something's going on in life, something's going on and I can't figure out what suit to wear or whatever and I'm sitting there thinking I got serious issues. Anybody there, right? You can't figure out what paper to write or how you're going to pass the test or what's going to happen and you think you got serious problems. And then we meet somebody that has really serious problems. And we realize that even our serious problems one day are nothing more than blips on the radar screen of eternity. And that we continue to look to Jesus as conquerors that overcome. I think this helps us to have a greater desire to share the gospel. People have two choices. They can burn in a lake of fire and sulfur in the second death. They can enjoy Jesus forever. In a world with no mourning, no tears, no pain, no suffering. That's the gospel. Why in the world would we not want to share the message of the good news with everybody that the Lord puts us in touch with, that lets us encounter, that allows us to have a conversation to share with them the glorious grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think focusing on heaven allows us to be able to share the gospel without fear, to share the gospel with boldness, because we're not sharing a message of condemnation. We are sharing a message of good news that Jesus Christ will overcome all. We look at the beginning of the Bible, we see a tree of life. We look at the end of the Bible, we see a tree of life. We look at the beginning of the Bible and we see rivers flowing in the Garden of Eden. We look at the end of the Bible and we see a river flowing from the throne of God. We look at the beginning of the Bible and we see a fellowship with Jesus walking in the garden. We look at the end of the Bible and we see a fellowship of us dwelling with God. All things will be made new. And that should help us understand Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How many of you in this room are going on one of those mission trips this summer? Would you stand? How many of you in this room have an internship that you're working with a company this summer? Would you stand? How many of you this summer are headed off to graduate school or you're headed off to serve in another location, maybe to serve at a local church, to work at a youth camp, something of that nature? Would you stand? How many of you are going to get a summer job working somewhere during the summer? Would you stand? How many of you are graduating high school and coming to Cedarville in the fall? Would you stand? Just kidding. No pressure at all. All right. You are going out. And whether you're going on a mission trip to Africa or whether you're going on an internship or whether you're going to graduate school or whether you're working a job as a lifeguard at the local pool, God can use you this summer to share the gospel, to have gospel conversations, to live a life that glorifies him. So as we close, I want to pray just a prayer of commissioning on all of you. Because all of you, no matter where you're going, no matter what you're doing, you are ambassadors for Christ. And you are taking the message of reconciliation to a world that desperately needs it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I just pray for all the students, faculty, staff who are here. 
Lord, I pray for those who are going to various parts of the globe, all over the United States, all over the world, to different assignments that you have given them this summer. Lord, I pray that you will help us all as we travel to be faithful witnesses to you, that you will give us gospel conversations, that you will help us to be bold in our faith, to take advantage of those opportunities, that you will help us to be faithful in our witness. Lord, that you will help us to live lives that are worthy of the calling you have placed upon us. God, I pray that you will bring everyone back safely that's coming back to Cedarville next year. For those, Lord, that are graduating, going to graduate school, that you are taking elsewhere, Father, I pray for their faithfulness, that you will help them to live lives focused on you, live lives for the gospel. Lord, that none of us will waste our lives, Lord, but that you will just help us to be faithful, that you will help us to stand firm in the face of trials, Lord, that you will help us to do what you would have us to do so that your name might be glorified. God, I pray for those who may be struggling today, those who may be mourning today, that, Lord, you would give them comfort and peace. I pray that you would help them to finish the semester strong. Lord, I pray that you would give everyone health so that they could do that, finish their work strong. And, Lord, I pray that in some way you would just allow this place to be used beyond what we can fathom, imagine, or even pray for your honor and for your glory. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.